the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this is the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show that's committed to answering your Bible questions, questions about Jesus, questions about doctrine, what we believe, why we believe it, for the sole purpose of helping you to fall deeper in love with our Jesus. And if there's anything we can do to help, well, we have phone numbers, and we've got an email, so let me give that to you. 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, if you're out of the area, is 877 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. And then the email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. We've got a church app you can use to submit your questions. Uh, We've got the KSLR mobile app. If you want to dial in directly to the studio, click the Call Now banner at top, and it'll connect you to the radio station, and you can ask your question on the air. Okay, well, here at Calvary Chapel, it is uh, Friday, so that means that tonight is our New Testament Bible study night. Since Pastor Ron is out of town on vacation, tonight we have Pastor Matt filling in. Wonderful teacher, wonderful man who loves the Lord, and uh, come come at 7 o'clock tonight. Um, Quick reminder, if you are part of our corporate group of prayer. That's 9.30 tomorrow morning here at the church. And something we have going, actually it's a busy Saturday for us. We've got the children's ministry um, conference here tomorrow. We've got also a clothing exchange. It's a women's clothing exchange. Normally don't make those type of announcements here, but if there's anybody in the radio listening audience that wants to participate, uh, that means you can come and get clothes. You don't have to bring clothes. But it's a women's clothing exchange that starts here at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock here at at the church till one o'clock. Okay. well, today is a busy day. Lots of quick news. I will just make one one quick statement that we'll get on to our questions. If anybody listening in the radio audience has been paying attention to the news today, uh, you're uh, certainly aware of the Supreme Court decision. Lots of opinions and emotions about it, but... Uh, here at Calvary Chapel, here on the radio uh, on the radio program for the Word to Stand On for Life, you know we don't take a political stance, but we are all about Jesus and all about His Word. And the Word is very clear that abortion is murder. And so this is, though we don't celebrate uh, political victories, we, we do celebrate the fact that uh, God's Word, at least in this case, is as honored for the meantime. And uh, what are the technicalities of what the law actually means? Is it's really not the purpose of this radio show, but 
what we do know, and we will take a firm stance on, is this. We are pro-life. We believe that God creates each and every one of us, and he, according to the psalmist in Psalm 139, says that he's the one that knits us in our mother's womb. Okay, well, let's get on to... Oh, one quick note. Pastor Ron and Paula did call just to make sure that the radio listening audience, this is today, they called just to make sure that everybody knows they are doing okay. And by okay, that means great. They wanted me to make sure that I tell you that they love you very much and they miss you very much. They can't wait to get back on the air here. Again, that'll be July 5th, Tuesday with Pastor Ron. But in the meantime, they are going to enjoy the fresh California air as they listen to the waves crashing and they listen to the Spirit of God speak to their hearts. Okay, now we get on to our questions. Uh, So no calls on the radio yet on the line. So let's go on. We've got a bunch of them submitted here. Leo. Leo says, which person of the Godhead will be the judge at the great white throne judgment? Will it be the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Or will it be all three judging together? Well, Leo, the answer here is pretty easy. It's going to be Jesus. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of judgment. And at the great white throne, this is in Revelation chapter 20, It's not explicitly stated who's sitting there. That's probably why you're asking the question. Because in that chapter, in Revelation chapter 20, it is Jesus speaking, but it doesn't explicitly say that Christ is going to occupy that seat in that passage. But it will probably be Jesus himself, because back in chapter 3, it's mentioned that he's one sitting on the throne. And throughout the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19, Second um, Corinthians chapter 5. But primarily, the reason why Jesus is the answer is because in John chapter 5, it, it's in verse 22, where the Father, it says, judges no one, and Jesus is the one speaking. But the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Well, there you go. That means that Jesus is going to occupy that seat of judgment. Now, it doesn't take away anything from the Father or for the Spirit, but we do know that the Father is Spirit, and the Holy Spirit obviously doesn't have a physical body. That's why Jesus is the representation of judgment. When we see Jesus, we see God. And here in John chapter 5, and again throughout the New Testament, uh, Jesus is the one that occupies the throne, and Jesus is the one that all judgment has been given to, has been entrusted to. So in that case, even if it's not explicitly stated, Leo, in Revelation chapter 20, we know that it is Jesus. We know that it's Jesus that rules and reigns on the the throne of David during, during the millennial period. Uh, and this is, again, a, a different uh, time, but still, Jesus is the one that occupies that seat. So I hope that helps. Thank you for your question, Leo. Next question is from our mobile app. This one is from Anonymous. At the time of the taken away of believers... What will the world say occurred? Uh, the taken away, I'm, I'm assuming that you're referring to the rapture. And Anonymous, I, I don't know. I, I don't know because the Bible doesn't say what the world will say has occurred. Now, we can surmise what because we know how the world operates. We know that... Uh, that the devil will be in control because the spirit will take away the bride and the church will no longer have that, that, that resisting power of the Holy Spirit to hold back evil. And so evil will be let loose. And when evil is loose and, and, and rampant and in control, who's to say what, what, what will take place or what they will say occurred? But 
even if the Bible doesn't give us an explicit uh, account of what they will say, uh, those we know remaining behind after the rapture will be unbelievers, all of them. Some of them, because of the rapture, will come to faith in Christ. And they'll do that um, after the church has been caught up to be with Christ. And, and those who give their life to Christ during the tribulation are going to suffer. Are going to suffer. This sort of a side note is the reason why we place such a heavy emphasis because Jesus places a heavy emphasis on sharing the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ with people today, today. Because once the rapture happens, and again, I said this all week, I'll say it again today, there is nothing left on the prophetical calendar that needs to take place before the rapture. That means the rapture can take place at any time. We will be caught up to be with him in the air, receive our glorified bodies, and and then to be ushered into heaven at the banquet. But in the meantime, while the Lord tarries, there needs to be a sense of urgency for those of us who are believers. Since the rapture can happen at any time, um, we, we have loved ones who are going to be left behind. We don't want them to suffer. And so we give them Jesus, the hope of glory, the one who can forgive them of their sins. Now, specific to your question here, Anonymous, um, I'm sure those left behind will rejoice because they'll see the world has been emptied of these judgmental, bigoted Christians. And in a way that we understand it to be a good thing, because we're going to be with Jesus, they're going to see it as a good thing, I'm sure. Again, this is not what the Bible describes, but they'll have some type of rational, rationalization that says, good riddance. And those, those, those judgmental people are gone and we are free to do whatever we want. But again, that's just speculation because we know how the world and how the enemy operates. That's why the takeaway, the so what, Anonymous, from all of this is, again, what Peter would say. and He would write, how then shall we live? Knowing that the world is going to be consumed and everything will be burned, how then shall we live today? I'm telling you, like I said from the very beginning of the Monday episode, uh, nothing else matters besides winning people to Christ. We share the hope of glory with people who are lost and dying, and who knows what the Lord will do. Even if, if it's somebody you've shared with before and they've said, no, no thanks, well, every conversation you have with that person subsequent to that last conversation needs to be just as uh, vigorous and just as specific as the very first time you've ever talked to them. Because you never know, when people walk away talking or hearing about Jesus, you never know what the Lord is doing in their hearts. Then maybe after the sixth, seventh, or maybe tenth time in talking to them, they soften their heart to the Lord and they're ready. Okay, all that long answer for Anonymous. I don't know what the world's going to say. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the next question. Moving right along here, we've got a question from Manny. Manny says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, is Jesus speaking about the Bema Seat judgment or the great white throne? judgment. Oh, another, another great white throne question. Okay, well, well, let's look at the passage. The short answer, Manny, is it's not the Bema Seat. This is the great white throne. Let's look at Matthew 7, and this is what it says. Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, shall, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and, 
done many wonders in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that's how you know. Uh, this is um, those, not at the Bema seat, but at the great white throne. Because Luke adds in, this, in the parallel passage here, he says, I will tell you I do not know you where you are from and depart from me. All you workers of iniquity, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus describes in Luke's account um, a little bit more detail that describes what this judgment is. And again, this would be the great white throne of judgment, the judgment into the lake of fire. So your question, Manny, brings up, uh, you brought up the Bema seat. If this is talking about the throne of judgment for non-believers, that would be the great white throne, then what is the Bema seat? And you didn't ask this, but I, I want to take a moment here just to clarify. Because I think this is important, especially since this is a a Christian show. Most of the radio listening audience, I'm going to assume, is our believers. And this is something very important for believers to understand, what the Bema seat is. The, the Bema Seat is described in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14. Um, it is sort of the award ceremony. And the Greek word implies that, rewards, Bema. It implies and it describes the, the, the meddling ceremony for the Olympics. Remember how they would stagger first and second and third place and the, the gold, silver, and bronze medals Well, that would be similar to the Bema seat in the sense that at the Bema seat, nobody is being judged and and being cast into the lake of fire because everyone at the Bema seat is going to be a believer. It's going to be a believer. And so believers, though, we learn from 2 Corinthians 5 and chapter 3 is that we will be judged for our works. Paul says that we must all appear, all meaning all believers, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And in a similar passage, the, the word for um, the word being used here for bad or, or another translation would say for good or for evil is the word for worthless, worthless. So it's not that they're being judged for uh, for their judgment of evil, but it's believers, and all of us as believers have works, works that amount to nothing because they were done with the wrong motive, and then we have works that will be that will produce crowns because these were done by the power of God's Spirit. And so all of us who are believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but that's the Bema seat where we will receive our our crowns or our rewards. The great white throne is a judgment at the end of the millennium standing before the great white throne will be every single person who has rejected Christ. So if you will think about the the place in Hades that is the place of torment. Those who were all, remember in Luke chapter 16, we had the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And the place had two compartments, the place of Hades or the place of the dead had two compartments. One is the place of torment where the rich man went, and the other place was Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus went. Uh, And so we know that from Ephesians chapter 4, and also Peter's first epistle tells us that when Christ died, he came down to proclaim victory there in Hades. And he effectively emptied out, he set captivity captive, That means he went to that space of Abraham's bosom and he said, okay, everybody, let's go. And he took him to be with him in heaven. 
But the other side, the second compartment, is still being populated. Those are the people who died apart from Christ. Well, at the end of the millennium, they will be resurrected again to stand before the great white throne and everyone that stands at the great white throne will be cast into the lake of fire. So, uh, Manny, I hope that helps. The, between, the distinction between the Bema seat, which is for believers, and the great white throne of judgment, which is for non-believers. Okay. Debbie is next. Debbie says, hi, Pastor Ken. On my, way to, on my way home from work yesterday, I heard on a talk, I heard on a talk to every man and answer, when we get to heaven, we will receive consequences for our actions here on earth. I thought once we see the face of God, we are made perfect because he is perfect. How is it we will be punished for our sins? Interesting. This is almost the exact same question. Um, okay, so so Debbie, your question follows right after Manny's, and it's it's pretty much the same answer, but let me go ahead and answer your question. Um, I'm familiar with the talk show. I'm not familiar with the episode. Uh, but if if you heard that we will receive consequences, that believers will receive consequences for our actions here on earth, it's probably something that they 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 read from, a misunderstanding from um, 2 Corinthians 5. Now, that passage I read earlier about the Bema seat says that we will be judged, believers will be judged for good or for bad, or for uh, that word for bad, in some translations may say evil. But it doesn't mean that we will suffer punishment in heaven, it means that our works will be, some of them will be, worthless. That's the better word. Uh, having no value. Uh, it'll be good for nothing. I think it's an even better translation. There's good, and then there's good for nothing. And those that amount to be good for nothing will be burned up. There'll be no value to them. So there's no punishment for those things that are done. But there are things that are done with the wrong motive and those will be worthless or good for nothing. It's important for us to remember that when it comes to punishment, this is something as Christians we need to understand. We are not punished for our sins in heaven at all because Jesus took the full punishment for our sin, all of it, all of it. This we know because the Bible explicitly states that it's Romans chapter 3 one of those places where we, this makes it abundantly clear all have sinned all and I'm going to read this from the living bible yes all have sinned all fall short of God's glorious ideal yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sin. So freely we have been justified. That means completely forgiven. And if Christ paid the price for all of our sin and we still had some residual sin to pay for, that means Christ didn't pay for all of our sin. That would be a big problem. But since he did... There is therefore now no judgment left for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Will we experience uh, some reward, finding out some rewards or some works were done with wrong motives? Yeah. And that'll equate to uh, maybe one less crown than we thought. But the purpose of those crowns is to cast them at the feet of Jesus in our worship to him when we get to heaven. We just may not have as many crowns as we thought. Debbie, I hope that helps. We are inside of a couple minutes, and so I don't have time to take another question. Let me just elaborate on this. And the, the so what of these last two questions is vitally important for all of us. When you consider 
what Jesus has done for you, when you consider him becoming sin, not just taking on our sin, but he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ, then that gives us a motivation to do all things unto Christ with the right motive. And if our motives are pure, it doesn't mean we have to be right all the time. You've heard Pastor Ron say this, and we say this all the time. We're so concerned about being right and not being wrong to the point where we limit God. But if we just trust God and do with a right heart before the Lord with no sin, we are obedient to what he's asked us to do. And if we go in one direction when he intended us to go the other way, he'll, of course, correct us with gentleness. And there's no condemnation there. So our motives is what matters. Whether good or bad, we will receive. We will stand before the beam of seat and receive our rewards. Debbie, I, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and I've had the great privilege of filling in for my pastor this week, Pastor Ron, who normally hosts this radio show to answer your questions is in California with his beautiful girlfriend, Paula. They are enjoying their time at the beach, soaking in the sun, the nice salt air, and the Spirit of God speaking to their hearts. They send their love. They miss you guys, and they can't wait to be back. But in the meantime, keep them in your prayers. Keep them in your prayers. We've got a lot going on here at the church, um, and and. There's a, a few things, uh, quite a few things, that Pastor Ron is specifically seeking guidance on. So that's what he asked me to communicate to you. He sends his love, and thank you for your prayers. So 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, that's questions, plural, questions at calvarysa.com. Again, questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app to submit questions. You can use the KSLR app. If you want to dial in directly to the show, some of you are just getting off of work and know a few people, regular callers, get off at five, uh, 4.30 and they are tuning in just now. If you're in your car, it's much easier just to use the app to dial in to the radio studio. And you'll be connected on the air. Okay, well, let's go on to our questions. This one is from our email inbox from Anonymous. Good afternoon. I was the one who asked who Pastor Chris was on the Wednesday show. I heard your answer, so my interest peaked. I listened to his study, and you explained him perfectly. I was extremely blessed by it and, it, and was shocked that he was as young as he looked. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. The message spoke to me mightily, and it encouraged me to be with Jesus because He's the only one that can provide clarity and comfort these days. I just wanted to say thank you for answering the question the other day. Well, Anonymous, you're welcome. And thank you for getting back in touch with us because this is important. We 
we realize that, that through the radio listening audience, there's still some level of disconnectedness uh, because we're just listening. We can engage in a conversation for a short moment, but really what we want is for the Spirit of God to speak to you. And if he wants to use us, great. That's why what you tuned in to Wednesday night, and if for anybody that's interested, you can go to calvarysa.com and, and listen to our Wednesday night Bible study where Pastor Chris was teaching through Psalm 29. And this short psalm by David is, is profound because it, it focuses on, it isolates on the voice of God. Not some loud, audible, booming voice. Very similarly into our, our, our first King study, this is this is the, the, the still small voice of God that spoke to Elijah. But in Psalm twenty nine, David's Psalm, there are descriptive words used to describe the voice of God and and Chris did a wonderful job through that study. I won't summarize it or or anything. I'll let you go ahead and listen to it if you feel so inclined. But one thing I personally took away, spoke to my heart, was that the voice of the Lord is majestic. And the the the, the voice of God being so majestic is so contradictory to what I used to think as a young person raised in a religious home. I, I was I was that kid in Catholic Church who thought God was a grumpy old man with a sledgehammer behind his back waiting to drop on me the moment I messed up. And unfortunately, that's the same way too many adults view God. That's not who he is. He's not angry at you. He's definitely angry at sin, but he loves you. And what he wants to communicate to you is that he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for your sin. I love considering the idea that there's nothing that I've done that has taken God by surprise. He has forgiven me of all my past, my present, my future sin, everything. And because of that, when his voice speaks to my heart, again, not an audible voice, but a voice that speaks through the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and He speaks directly to my heart. That's the majestic voice. I had a conversation with somebody today that this was part of the conversation. It was just hearing from God. And in our current climate, our social climate, there is so much noise so many voices, so many opinions. How do you discern between what's God, what's from God and what isn't? And so many um, belief systems. And, and too often people have the approach of sort of cherry picking what they think to be right from different religions and sort of combining it into one Frankenstein type of religion. But there's no value to that. In an age where there is way too much information available for us and we're not built to process this much information, but our flesh wants to consume as much information as possible, it's better to be consumed by and to consume the Word of God. There, You know the heart of God, you know the nature of God, and then you're able to discern what is from him and what isn't. That's, and that's the voice of God. Uh, so Anonymous, I'm glad you were blessed. I'm glad you got to know Pastor Chris. Yes, he is a gift. Uh, you, can, you can keep him in prayer because after that study, his voice was, well, speaking of the voice of God, his voice, which is normally pretty deep and booming. Well, I talked to him today. He's doing fine. But let's just say it was a little bit uh, raspy. <laughs> but he's doing well. Okay, let's move on. Our next question comes from Raul. Raul says, Hi, Pastor Ken. Non-believers are asking me questions that I don't know how to answer. 
Uh, and then he lists a series of questions here. What about the caveman and dinosaurs? Did they all go to hell? Uh, did God create these creatures? I just don't know what to say to them. What does what does behemoth mean in the Bible, and, and does that give me the answer? Well, hi, Roel. Uh, the short answer is this. God created Adam and Eve as the first humans. The Bible doesn't mention anything about cavemen. It doesn't mention anything about prehistoric men. It doesn't mention anything about Neanderthals or any of these type of uh, progressive evolutions from some animal life form to humans. That's simply part of the uh, theory of evolution that has creeped into our way of thinking. And we as Christians need to be able to distinguish what the Bible says versus what the world says. The world puts God aside and says that he doesn't exist and that uh, all these things that were created just came about by chance. Any person with a thinking mind can see that that isn't true. However, there are some that insist and they implement these ideas of cavemen and prehistoric men and and whatever it is to to sort of discredit the word of God. Let me say this, Raul, you don't have to apologize for anything the Bible says. You don't have to apologize for anything. There are some questions that we're not going to have answers to. And that we have to be okay with that. But as far as your questions here about... Uh, a caveman, uh, there's no record of them. Did they go to hell? And we don't know anything about them. There's, and, and we don't have to make anything up. And so when unbelievers ask you about, uh, um, you know, behemoth, uh, this is out of Job, Job chapter 40. Remember when Job would describe, or God would describe uh, through Job, a creature that was, a, we know he was a plant-eating creature. He was huge, muscular, and strong. He was one that lived by the water. And, and from that, we glean uh, the information and, and, and do the best that we can. But does it mean it's a dinosaur? I, I don't know. Does it mean it was an animal? It's probably, it's not a hippopotamus. It's not an elephant because what, what's described there is much bigger. So maybe it is, but, but you don't have to feel like you have to give them an answer that will satisfy their intellect because here's the, the, the real issue, role When it comes to unbelievers that demand evidence or they, they, they rationalize through, through, through evolution or whatever it may be, whatever they've learned through this world, it never answers the root cause question, which is, what do you do with your sin? Now, that doesn't mean we ignore these questions. There are, there are real answers to some of them, not all of them. But God cares more about the things that matter. And I promise you, when a person submits their heart to Jesus Christ and they become born again, and they say, Jesus, you're the boss, and I will obey what you say, God will begin to reveal himself more and more, his, his person, personality, his character, what he's like. And you're no longer focusing on all these questions about, you know, that, that don't really matter. And you find out the character and nature of God, and you'll realize that in finding out who Jesus is, you'll get these answers. So don't ever feel compelled to provide answers to these type of answers. You want to talk about Jesus' role. And you're not escaping a difficult question, because the question is not that difficult. What does the Bible say about them cavemen, nothing. But what the Bible does say is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What are you going to do with your sin? 
So Raul, I hope that helps. Um, Thank you for your question. I'll make one quick comment, a side note on this, and then we'll move on. Um, Raul, you didn't ask this, but this is something that I'm personally passionate about. And I think that when it comes to sharing Jesus with people, our human nature wants to answer every single question. But the truth is we don't have all of the answers and and whenever someone approaches you with pseudo intellectual questions that may seem difficult to answer the truth is that's not the real question the heart of the issue is whether or not they want to submit their life to Jesus Christ whether or not they want to stop sinning and, and and anyone that uses the excuse, well, there's not enough evidence, or I, I think that the evolution is what I, I believe in, or I believe in science and all these things, there is no contradiction in the Bible to science. But science is not, the Bible is not meant to, to, to validate science. The Bible is meant to talk about Jesus Christ and to know him so that our sins may be forgiven. So don't feel compelled or trapped or cornered when when some of these things come up. You don't need to apologize for anything. Simply proclaim what the Bible says and let them deal with it between them and God. Thanks, Raul. All right, Melanie. Next one says, My husband is constantly using the Bible to make decisions And whenever his mind is set on what the Bible says, he wants us all to do. We all have to do it or else our family is wrong. Sometimes I put my thoughts on what I think we should do when it comes to things we deal with, like our finances, our plans for the day, or plans when we travel. And he he seems to never consider what I think we should do. Can you please give us some insight on this? Well, Melanie, I had a similar question earlier this week, and these kind of questions always break my heart because, number one, it shows that, that Jesus isn't the center of the marriage. Now, it doesn't mean that that there, this is a damaged marriage beyond repair. Jesus fixes these things pretty easily. I like the fact that your husband is using the Bible to make decisions, and I like the fact that your husband is embracing his responsibility as the spiritual leader of your family. However, as spiritual leaders of our family, we husbands need to recognize that it doesn't mean we are the captain of our ship, that we are the the king of our castle and what we say goes. Led by the Spirit, guided by His Word, in partnership with our wives, is how we lead. And and in this case, uh, your husband may have the right motive, may have the right heart, and he's doing maybe the best he can. But the one thing you say here at the end, you said, He seems to never consider what I think we should do. It's sort of a red flag. If, if a husband is never considering what his wife thinks, then there's something wrong. Now, let me elaborate here because in actuality, what the husband thinks and what the wife thinks is really irrelevant. And every time I say this in counseling, I'm always, the response is always confused looks. But what the husband thinks is irrelevant. What the wife thinks is irrelevant. But when the husband and the wife agree to agree with Jesus, Jesus's opinion is all that matters. And that's the goal for a, a, a husband and wife to be in complete harmony, that threefold cord knit together that can't be broken. Jesus has to be the one that binds that marriage together. That means when um, a spouse has a very strong opinion, they're entitled to it. But when it comes to Jesus, his opinion is the only one that matters. 
And so what I tell husband and wives, and, and Melanie, I would tell you and your husband the same thing. The insight you ask for is this. You need to go and seek God's will. You need to pray and ask what God wants you to say. And your husband needs to go and seek God and do the same thing. Then when you come together, instead of, well, this is what I think and this is what I think, the question is, well, what did Jesus say to you? Then together you can talk about what God's will is for your family. If he never considers what you say, if your husband is only bent on doing what he wants to do, well, a husband has to consider his wife, his partner, his co-laborer. And if he isn't doing that, well, then he needs to repent. But also for you, Melanie, you, you need to Support your husband as the spiritual leader, the one responsible for the decision-making of your family. Does that mean what you consider is not important? Of course not. It's a partnership. So, Melanie, you and your husband work together. And I firmly believe when you open your Bible together, God will speak to you at the time that you need to hear it. Whatever it is you're going through, when you have questions about traveling or finances or major decisions— Being in God's Word together guarantees your hearts are open, your Bibles are open, and God will guide you both. So I hope that helps. Thank you for your question, Melanie. I'll be praying for you and your husband. and, And one last thing on that. If, Melanie, you have any questions how specifically to carry this out, uh, what we do here at the church is offer marital counseling of no charge. We have pastors here who would love to sit and talk with you. First, I would suggest you go to your church and meet with your pastor. Uh, If that's something that uh, you can't do or or something that doesn't seem to be helping, prayerfully consider giving us a call and see how we could help, if, if you're in the area. But I always suggest people to go and sit with their pastors, sitting down, talking about these things face-to-face is always so much better. Okay, next question is from Anonymous. We are just inside five minutes, so if you want to call, call quickly. We can take your question on the air. Okay, next question is from Anonymous. Good afternoon, Pastor Ken. I wanted to ask a question involving children. My heart is broken with all the mass shootings going on, especially involving children. I think and pray often for the children in Uvalde. I understand the Bible says we grant we granted eternal life through Jesus. Uh, I think you meant to say we're, we are granted eternal life through Jesus and eternal suffering if people reject him. I am a believer, but I'm curious and really wanting to know where the, those 19 children are now. Have they entered into heaven, or is there a chance they didn't make it? Oh, this is an important question. I think Pastor Ron has dealt with this a couple of times already, but in case there's somebody new listening to the radio station or listening to this show, this no doubt is a question that needs to be answered. The Bible is very clear. When children die, before this age of accountability, whatever that age is, I don't know, but and that age of accountability is when we are aware of our sin. When we die before that age, babies, young children, they die and immediately go to be with Jesus in heaven. Second Samuel chapter 12 is that example. Verse 23, remember when King David was praying in sackcloth and ashes for his baby to make it. And his, his servants are watching him toiling in prayer, crying out to the Lord that the baby would get saved when the baby dies. The servants are afraid to tell him, but then David stands up after learning that the baby has died and says, to wash up, 
get back to work because he will not come to me, but I will go to him. And that's because babies, people who, young children who are not yet at the age of accountability where they are aware of their sin, that, well, they're not accountable for that. Now, they have a sinful nature for sure because we're born with that. But there's a distinction between having a sinful nature and being aware of our sin. That's why Romans chapter 1 tells us, after the, the demonstration of God revealing himself through nature and through the world, says that men is without, man is without excuse because God has revealed himself throughout nature, throughout the world. And so we know when we're wrong. We know when we have sinned against God. And that's when repentance is required before we get into heaven. But we're only accountable to what we know and to those that are young, to those like these 19. Without a doubt, they are in the presence of the Lord because they were not accountable for their sin. They were too young. I didn't know them. But I know that God is a just God, and he's not going to cheat anyone else, anyone out of heaven. But to those of us that are older and we are aware of our sin, we are the ones that are accountable. That's why, Anonymous, yes, pray for the families. They're hurting. Our city is hurting. Our, our state, our country is hurting. And again, because of the, the decision from the Supreme Court today, there's all kinds of charged emotions today. We want to keep our people in our country in prayer so that people would get saved. Well, you can hear the music that means. Reminder tonight, Pastor Matt will be teaching at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow morning, we have corporate prayer at 9.30. You're welcome to join us here at Calvary Chapel. Women's Clothing Exchange is from 10 o'clock tomorrow morning to 1 o'clock. And reminder, next week will be rebroadcast episodes of the show. Pastor Ron will be back on July 5th live here to take your questions. It's been a pleasure being with you this week, my friends, God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.